0: All right. This one's for Paco. Gambled and you lost. The rest of us were here to pay the cost. Cowboy to the end. If only your truck would have made that bend So many times before When you walked out
1: my door
0: What would have happened if
1: I... Well, thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Show. This is Matt Santos, your host. You are listening to episode number 171. Now, all of our back episodes, our archives, are available at milehighshow.com. And please, we encourage you, Use that Amazon link that's right there at milehighshow.com. It's listed in every uh, episode show notes. There's a uh, banner right there on the bottom of the page, uh, on the bottom of most of the page there at milehighshow.com. What it does is you click on it, and it takes you directly to your standard Amazon or your Amazon Prime login page. And you log in, and you shop like you normally will. Uh, you know you 're buying stuff online anyway. I know we all want to support local. We all want to contribute to the local economies where we live, uh, especially in an area like I live in where there 's a lot of smaller mom and pop businesses and I understand that, and we do that. We record in and around a lot of the local independent restaurants we uh, we buy a lot of our gear and uh, and uh, and goods and uh, and services from local vendors and I understand that but there are times when you got to buy stuff online you just have to economically wise and convenience wise and and sometimes there's just stuff you can't get locally i understand that i'm not saying don't don't support local businesses cuz i want you to especially support you know local photographers and local uh you know local podcasts you know stuff like that but when you have to shop online When you have to send something to somebody, maybe you're sending something across country or around the world, whatever, you're using Amazon. We know you are. Use that Amazon link at milehighshow.com, and this is why. Doesn't cost you anything extra, but every month Amazon says, "Hey, you're getting to us through milehighshow.com. We're going to give them a little thank you. We're going to give them a little, you know, a little change, a little, uh, a little, uh, a little money." And that's a way you can support this show, support me, a local independent podcaster uh, with, you know, three or four listeners every week. Uh, and you also are supporting the artists that we support the artists, the authors, the musicians, the interesting folks, the comics. By supporting us, by using that Amazon link, you're supporting the guys that we support, the guys and gals that we support, including. Today's guest, Mr. Brad Courtney. Now, Brad, I've been wanting to sit down with him for quite a while. He is the self-proclaimed official, unofficial, whatever you want to call it, historian of Prescott's Whiskey Road. Now, he's got an interesting story. We talked about where he grew up and how he ended up out here in Arizona and why he chose to document the history of Whiskey Row, but he has a book that came out a couple of years ago, Prescott's Original Whiskey Row. You can get that book, see the tie-in here, by using that Amazon link at milehighshow.com. Now, there's other ways you can get it. You can get it at local booksellers. You can get it right up and down the row at a couple of shops right there adjacent to the St. Michael's. If you're local, if you're not local, milehighshow.com, Amazon link put money in my pocket, because then I can afford to drive around and interview interesting authors and artists and musicians and all those great people like Brad Courtney. Again, his book, Prescott's Original Whiskey Row, you can also get it by going to whiskeyrowbooks.com and ordering it there. You can also see some video interviews with Brad and and learn about his process of uh, of what he is, uh, what he's doing to preserve the history of Whiskey Row. He's got a new book in the works uh, that he's taking his time working on. We talk a little bit about that. Uh, it's kind of centered around the uh, 1900 fire, early 1900s, the fire that kind of decimated Whiskey Row. You can also follow him on Whiskey Row Books on Facebook. Uh, today's music is uh, provided by, I'm not sure what cuts I'm going to use, what tracks I'm going to use, but they, uh, the intro and outro will both be by uh, Danny Romero, former guest of the show, uh, a frequent guest of the show. His info is at music.com Including on there are some nice video clips that I've done, some photos that I've done, some photos that other local photographers have done. And information about Danny Romero, the true uh, true cowboy musician and poet that uh, that uh, haunts the uh, the uh, local honky tonks in bars and saloons around Prescott and uh, and uh, Central Arizona, including the Palace, which is where we recorded this interview with Brad Courtney. Uh, historicpalace.com is where you can find out information about them, the food, the history. We talk a lot about the palace because it's such, a, such an anchor, such a cornerstone of Prescott's Whiskey Row. It's a beautiful bar, beautiful saloon, great restaurant, and they also have some really good music because Danny Romero was getting ready to set up and play while we were recording he plays there every Friday, from uh, five p.m. to eight p.m. and then all around, uh, all around Arizona, down into Wickenburg, Cave Creek, New River, uh, different places, all over the place. But every Friday, Danny is there at the Palace Historic dot com and Danny Romero Music dot com is where you can find out information about both of those entities. And again, Whiskey for Brad Courtney's info. Now. I love the palace. It's a great spot to hang out and uh, and just people watch. There are uh, you just got to go if you're ever in Arizona, specifically in the Prescott area. But even if not, if you're in uh, four hours from Vegas, shoot on down. Get in your car and shoot on down. If you're in Phoenix, we're a couple hours north. But Prescott's Whiskey Row and that whole downtown area is filled with historic buildings that are just uh, they're not like. Uh, like a museum type thing they're working buildings they're retailers they're restaurants they're bars they're shops gift shops clothing stores hat stores restaurants everything and they're just working but they're buildings that have been there for you know well over 100 years it's it's just a beautiful downtown now years ago uh mid 1990s my wife and i soon after we got married mrs mile high show we uh we hopped on a commuter train. We lived in California, hopped on a commuter train, and uh, went from uh, from Oakland, a couple-hour trip, to Old Town Sacramento, the Amtrak station in Sacramento, walking distance from the capital. We just kind of went out for like a day trip. And uh, there's a beautiful train museum, rail, railroad museum, right there in, in Old Town. Gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's a lot of fun, a lot of interaction and it's adjacent to these old buildings, like four or five old streets and blocks of restaurants and things. And it's the old West, the old town Sacramento, and we loved it. We had a blast. Uh, again, that was in the in the mid nineties, and hadn't hadn't really been back. And then, uh, uh, then in the in the early two thousands, two thousand and four, we moved out to Arizona to the Prescott area. We're in a town up. Little north of Prescott. And it didn't really dawn on me that what they were trying to replicate in Sacramento is kind of. I get the. Anyway, about a month ago, we went back to Sacramento for a family function and decided to take our son to Old Town Sacramento. Showed him the train museum. He loved it. And we walked through Old Town. And that was the first time I had been in Old Town Sacramento since the mid 90s. And it struck me. That, as much as I liked it before, since we have now spent over a decade in the Prescott area, walking through these buildings that it looks like Old Town was trying to replicate, it just looked cheap in Sacramento. When we were there a month or so ago, it just felt like the Disneyland, the amusement park version of what an Old West town should be. And here, we live so close to, and I spend so much time working in and around a true, authentic, historical downtown area. And it really made me appreciate Prescott's Whiskey Row. It really made me appreciate places like the historic Palace Saloon and Restaurant. And in turn, really appreciate folks like, uh, like Brad Courtney. And Danny Romero, who are keeping that feeling, that atmosphere, that that uh, culture alive. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Brad Courtney. Pick up a copy of his book, Prescott's Original Whiskey Row. Uh, you can get it at WhiskeyRowBooks at com or at com. You can order it that way and get a signed copy or just kind of cruise around Whiskey Row if you're in town. And uh, and find Brad hanging out at the palace. He's usually got a couple of books in his bag. You, you slip him a twenty, and uh, and he'll sign one for you, and and uh, and and have a good time. Have him tell you a couple of stories. Uh, listen to the show. Go on iTunes. Give us a rating and a review, and pick up your copy of Prescott's original whiskey row by Brad Courtney, the guest on the show today. Yeah, oh, we're at Brad's table. Brad's table, baby. Sitting with Brad Courtney, the, uh, I don't know, could we call you the official historian of Whiskey Row, or is it the unofficial, or is it just barfly? I What's am the uh, self
2: proclaimed official <laughs>
1: Whiskey Row historian. Now, Pal- but, palace historian, I, I, I'll, I'll take it all. Now, what I, what I really want to do is talking with you, and I've been wanting to sit down with you for, uh, for quite some time, is to obviously talk about your book. And that book is Prescott's Original Whiskey Row. That's one of your books. You've got a that's, couple
2: out there, uh, right? No, not right now. I'm working on a second one. I wrote a hiking book way back in the 80s when I lived up on the res, and that's out of print now. But So it's the only book in print at the moment. And since I come to Prescott, I've kind of dedicated myself to writing the history of
1: Whiskey Row because no one had done it before. Uh, which is amazing to yeah. me because there yeah. are so many stories. So there's a couple of things. Like I said... One, I wanted to sit down and get to know you a little bit better. We've, we've talked a lot sitting here listening to Danny Romero play some music. And, and we're best and, friends on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> and we're there. Oh, man, they just let anybody stroll into this place. <laughs> uh, so, again, so I wanted to sit down, talk to you, just get to know you a little bit better. Of right. course, talk about your book, encourage people to pick it up and, uh, and check it out. Where can they get it? Again, Prescott's Original Whiskey Row.
2: Well, my favorite place to uh, recommend people going to is the Old Sage Bookshop right there in um, the St. Michael's.
1: Oh, nice. So right there at the St.
2: Michael's Hotel. That's my favorite place. Yeah, right there, uh, you know, the shops there. Shop Shop. locally? Yeah, Old Old Sage mm -hmm. Bookshop. But you can get it on Amazon. I was going to say. You can get it from me.
1: You can get it at Barnes & Noble. That's great for the folks that live here or travel through Prescott. Right. But we got, man, this is big time. We got listeners all over the world. You can, so, we, uh, so you got to go to Amazon. So you know how they do it. They go to MileHighShow dot com mm-hmm. and click that Amazon link. See, you know, see that little commercial I did. Click that Amazon yeah. link.
2: Uh, let me. I got one. <laughs> I got one for you. Or you, if you want a signed copy, you can email me at whiskeyrollbooks at gmail dot com. Nice, nice, but I, to be honest with you, you can get it cheaper
1: on Amazon. <laughs> I hate to say, yeah, but, it, but you don't get they that, keep lowering the price. You don't get that personal uh, that personal yeah. signature like I got in mine that yeah. I just picked up. Yeah, for twenty dollars whiskey money. Now for the <laughs> for the uh, uh, for folks familiar and and most of my listeners are. Uh, and like I said, we are lit- literally around the world. We got listeners over in Europe, we got them across right. the US, Australia, but pr- the big bulk of our listenership is right here in Arizona. Good. Uh, streaming down to Phoenix, as well as uh, a lot of folks right here in Yavapai County. So most of the people here in this are familiar with, of course, Whiskey Row and the Palace, because the Palace is, is, is the, the basically one of the cornerstones yeah. of
2: the Row. I would say the jewel. But, the jewel of the row,
1: but there are so many stories about Whiskey Row and about the palace in particular, right? Uh, so that's another reason I wanted to talk with you, so we can uh, we can hear a few of those stories. We we just want to wet their whistle a little bit, so they'll go out and get the book, right? But you also have, uh, in the past, and, and maybe soon again. I know you took a little break right. of doing some of the tours and stuff because you have a couple of Facebook pages as well. I have a let's Whiskey direct, Ro- direct Ro- people his- to those. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, I started a
2: Facebook page. Um, it was, first, it was Whiskey Real Books, and smile. Then, you're on camera. Uh, hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I don't smile do I? <laughs> <laughs> good.
1: Go ahead. I'm sorry. See, <laughs>
2: but anyway, we're getting our, pic- we're getting our <laughs> picture taken. I need my hat on. <laughs> just for a minute, yeah. We, we got. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we should do this more <laughs> often. We're in the right. He, he likes There's his it. girls are just yeah. running up taking his picture. They love it. I wish you had a visual of that. That was good. <laughs> uh, I forgot what I was saying. I was so your about Facebook the, page? Yeah. So I started out just was a page for my book, but as soon as I made the page, uh, whiskey row history in general wasn't publicize the book because my whole goal is to promote Whiskey Row yeah. and its history because I believe uh, when I started researching for it I um have a seat Tommy Tommy's got some stories
1: Tommy sit down <laughs> <laughs> <going on> <laughs> <laughs> we're getting lots of attention everybody should
2: be watching this I'm,
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to share table space with you right here Brad's table boy I I can't so well, if, uh, I would you say, st- yeah. Start the Facebook page. Yeah,
2: yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I, this, I should not biked up for the for the whole thing. Here. No,
1: we're, Danny and I are talking about doing that, doing some live shows. Because yeah. I've done some live shows with an audience. We do the PA system, get some music mixed in, some comedy and things. We're tr- talking about doing one here to to again celebrate yeah. the history of Whiskey Row and the Palace. So you start this Facebook page. Yeah. Um, yeah, and where is that? Where can folks find the Facebook page? It's just
2: Whiskey Row History. Um, like I said, I started out to promote my book, but I felt a little guilty about that because my real my real goal is not just the book, but. Uh, like you said, I've been doing tours, uh, whiskey row history tours. I've taken a little time off because of a personal yeah. tragedy in my life. But um, no, I didn't. Say um,
0: that,
2: I you know, and through articles, I write articles. I'm going to be published in True West magazine pretty nice. soon. I write for the Courier sometimes. Now,
1: know. let's drop back a little bit. How did that start? Is this hometown for you? Is this where you were born and raised? No. Or where was no. the Courtney? Uh, where do the Courtney clan
2: hail the, from? The Courtney clan actually. I was actually born in Lexington, Kentucky. And I don't have any memory of that. Isn't there a
1: prison there, or no?
2: That's Leavenworth. Yeah, I don't know. I know there's a hospital there because I was I was born in that hospital. But prison, I don't know. Maybe, it's, yeah, maybe it's. I was thinking
1: Leavenworth. That's Kansas. That's so. Kansas. That's it's, Kansas. it's an L and a K. That's all I know.
2: Yeah, it sounds you yeah. Got that first uh <laughs> that first syllable has the same uh short. So born in Kentucky. Born in Kentucky, but uh, I spent. I meant I grew up in Michigan on a farm, and uh, very small. Town called Minden, and I lived like four miles out. I lived on a uh, actually, it was a cattle farm for a while. Some people say I shouldn't say cattle farm, but it was <laughs> it was a cattle farm, it wasn't a ranch, yeah, it had like 80 head. But then my dad did something incredible, uh, so I, I called myself a, a cowboy. I yeah. mean, I loved it because I had plans on raising cattle myself, and uh, then I was probably maybe a junior in high school, and he sold those cattle and he bought chickens. He bought seventy-five thousand chickens. Oh man! That, that lay eggs, you know those. You've seen them—the horrible barns where they got yeah, rows, yeah, yeah. and there's a yeah, row yeah. on top, and they poop on
1: top of the. And that is some nasty animals. And <laughs> that was
2: that was the worst. Oh God, that was that was a nightmare. So, you know, but it made my dad wealthy, and uh, he was kind of the chicken king of uh, <laughs> Southwest Michigan, which made me the Chicken Prince. Uh, <laughs> and I had no uh, desire whatsoever to be the Chicken Prince. <clears throat> Plus, chicken farmers don't have cool hats like Calvin. <laughs> cool hat. And it stunk. But they get know? to wear them
1: little Western ties like uh, Colonel Sanders. Oh, you know,
2: yeah. But there's no romance in it at all. <laughs> so, um I uh, packed my bags and got down the I-40, and I took a job on the Navajo Indian Reservation as a teacher, and I spent 12 years there,
1: uh, and I loved it. I loved it. Now, what towns are up in there? Where are you talking about? I, I lived in Tuba City. Tuba City yep. is that that's a, and that. Now I've lived in Arizona since '04. Yeah, haven't explored a whole lot of it. But is that up by like Page and it's, up that uh, way? It, or? It's
2: 75 miles from Page and it's okay. 75 miles from, its right between Flagstaff and Page. Gotcha. Okay. And I worked at a boarding school there, and uh, like I said, loved it. And then what were you teaching? Uh, I started out teaching PE. Oh wow! It was a great scholar. I taught PE. <laughs> um,
1: I would have voted history in that, but no PE. No,
2: no. it's that much history being taught in schools nowadays? No, yeah. yeah. I taught it when I, because I sneaked yeah. it in, because I later got a the master's. The history, history of
1: basketball. I I, did, <laughs> yeah,
2: I knew more of that at the time. <laughs> you know, actually. Um, and then uh, in the summers, I would do uh, river trips down to Colorado.
1: Oh, nice. Because I
2: loved it. I mean, I just, uh, it's just, now, I, I never would have left, but you know
1: how life gets in the way. And, now, what part of Michigan were you, because obviously, from what I know, not obviously I shouldn't say that, but from what I know of Michigan, cold, oh, yeah. snow, yeah. and then you come to the middle of the desert. I got friends coming tonight. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they're leaving snow.
2: Yeesh. <laughs> from Michigan. They're coming from Michigan. Uh, three of my high school friends are coming, and they texted me and said please don't let there be any snow <laughs> so we'll have to worry about that but yeah it was um, I, I did love it it was a beautiful country right. it was lakes so how long so. were you up
1: there uh,
2: and, uh, in, the res?
1: In, in the res yeah
2: on the res for 12 years Yeah, 12 years and then, like I said life got in the way okay, I had kids and I promised to raise them down in Phoenix so I spent 19 long years in, in Phoenix teaching we're, in the area. teaching as well
1: yeah 6th yeah, yeah.
2: grade 6th grade that's
1: I a forgot, good i forgot got your
2: question I'm gone kind of way off
1: yeah. No that's right. That's I'm going to change this The name of the podcast From the Mile High Show To uh, to Tangents Because that's all we do Yeah on. I mean Now what, um, That's a good age though 6th grade I love it Yeah, yeah. What I is that It's it. like uh, 12 uh, 11, think, 12, yeah, 11, 13?
2: 12 Yeah so Yeah they come in And uh, they're, they're still like kids And the strange thing Happens after uh, Christmas They turn into junior high kids <laughs> I mean they really do yeah. they, they change And everybody noticed it but uh, it's still it was it was an age where you could kind of talk to them like adults. Yeah, you
1: know, but they were still kids. But they know, haven't started getting all freaked out with teenage years. Yeah, yet. they're just starting to do that. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> What were you teaching? Was it just general ed? Yeah, was it you, six, a little bit of everything? Yeah, yeah. sixth grade.
2: Me, I taught everything. Yeah, know, except for the specials like PE. And yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it, and then. Uh, I guess the question was how I ended up here. I guess, was that yeah, the question? I don't know. <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> well, how did I end up here? So, you know, growing up on a farm, living on the res, doing river trips, you know, my thing was the outdoors. And yeah. that big city, Phoenix, just just wasn't.
1: Whereabouts were you in Phoenix? What area? Uh, cactus.
2: Yeah. Uh, around 35th Avenue in Cactus. But I taught in uh, on Camelback. Right below Grand Canyon University,
1: so that's like between what's now between seventeen and one hundred and one on yep. the on the on yep. the west side. Yeah, I
2: was just a few miles down from seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Not a not a not what you would call a a a, a jewel of the valley. No, <laughs> I lived in a nice little pocket. Let's yeah, that way. Yeah.
2: You know, so but uh, where I taught was really inner city, so we had all the problems associated with you know living in the inner now city. What, your, what years are we talking about? What Uh, I see. I think I moved down there. I think I started in 93, and I ended up, uh, I think I retired in 2012.
1: Now, in the the late 70s and mid-80s, there was a huge boom, population boom in Phoenix, but it was really growing through the 90s as well, right? Right. It's kind of tapered off a little bit, but it went from 70s small town, basically, Phoenix, a, a pocket, to just... Ballooning to a metropolis, right. so they 're probably still suffering from some of them growing pains I remember flying in from
2: the '80s you know and i 'd float from Michigan then i 'd drive up to the res, yeah, and looking down it it, it looked like a lot of desert, you know yeah. of course, you could see the swimming pools down there too, but it was a lot yeah. of brown. You know. Now it's just great concrete when you're flying over. Yeah, you of. fly over it flying now, especially at night. Just the lights go on And it, it just forever. all blends together. Yeah. Phoenix,
1: Glendale, yeah. it's just kind of all yeah.
2: all one. And it starts way the heck out there. But uh, I think when I first moved there, I think it was the 10th largest city in the United States. Oh, now wow. it's like fourth or fifth. Yeah. It's, uh, it just grew. And up. it's not getting much prettier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I remember my, my class size, the size of my school Went up, I think there was um, four sixth grade classes, and by the time I left, there was eight or nine. Oh wow! You know, so, yeah, it grew. So, my wife and I uh, would start coming up to Prescott, and uh, you know, uh, just uh, just to visit, you know, drive up for the day, yeah. and then we st- or we stay at a cottage. Get down out there. of the heat a little bit. Yeah, the heat didn't bother you that much, really? but the city did. Yeah, city. Yeah. I just just like I mean, they call this everybody's hometown, you know, and it kind of feels that way. It became like my hometown, and uh, we. We would rent a cottage and off, uh, looking uh, overlooking Links Creek, and we just couldn't get nice, enough of it. So nice, I Came time to, I thought I was going to get a teaching job up here, but um, it worked out so I could retire. Nice, and I did. So we got we we uh, bought a getaway cabin out in the nice. mountains there for. Um, in 2011 and that was our getaway spot and then I was able to retire in 2012 nice and yeah and that's where I live now so uh, recently my wife passed away so I'm living out living out in the mountains alone I'm a lo- old. Yeah. I'm all a mountain man out there you know but um,
1: um, yeah, yeah fa- I, fairly recently I remember we were talking yeah. a couple of weeks ago and yeah. What, what a good outpouring of uh, of support here, right within this building and of the, your friends coming the palace coming together me to for have you. A
2: celebration of my wife's my yeah. life, <laughs> How do you say yeah. it. My wife's life yeah. here, yeah. you know, and they were just so generous. They gave us the room, and it was just great. But um, like I said, when I got here, uh, I went to because I'm a I have a master's in history, and I wanted to get all the books on my new hometown the history of Prescott especially Whiskey Row because I really became enamored with it legendary yeah, Yeah, it was so famous you know and I'm thinking there must be a bunch of books about it but uh, (coughs) lo and behold not one book it it was mentioned in articles
1: in books there might be a chapter or something like that did you know about the Prescott area before before coming to Arizona I did not. I never never heard of it. You know, I, I no. had not either. Yeah. My brother moved out here in early 04, uh, and then not not following, him, completely unrelated, I got a job transfer out here in the tail end of 04. And as I'm telling people at, at my current job, I'm saying, yeah, I'm moving to a place called Prescott. It's in Arizona. Yeah. It's north of Phoenix. A couple of guys really knew because they were really into it, and I'm going to... The Phippen Museum. Right, right. They knew about that. They'd actually done some trips out. One of them was an artist, uh, amateur artist, very dynamite, William Barker, dynamite artist. But he did the, He loved the Old West art. And that's a great story. So he knew about Prescott. I knew nothing about it. Then I move out here. One of the second, third nights we were here, we came down and checked out the row. My brother lived here in Prescott. And uh, and then from then on, I'm watching these old movies that I had seen as, as a kid, these movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, these old westerns, thank you, and they're talking about, oh, we're taking a trip up to Prescott, we're going up to Prescott, you know, these old western movies. It started clicking that and this place has, this is the history, living history. When you watch those shows, it's amazing how many times Prescott comes yeah, up.
2: Yeah. You know? And they say Prescott, too, they don't say Prescott.
1: One of the most <laughs> famous ones that you hear it mentioned is in. Uh, movies surrounding the tomb store, tombstone lore, yeah. the Earp family and stuff, and right. that kind of brings us up into here, so you start doing the research, um, what, what was your first trip into the palace like? Do you remember what, you know, some not, of the early visits here? It must have been
2: in the 80s, and I just remember looking at it and going, man, this is the real deal here. Now,
1: how much has it changed?
2: Uh, I can't. I can't really tell you. I can't because I. I can't remember. Uh, actually, I came up here with my uh, best friend. He worked for the Veterans Administration. They had some kind of goings on at the yeah. hospital there, and we went to Matt's Saloon yeah. next door. And uh, one of the first times I ever heard about Prescott was uh, the story, the true story of Bruce Springsteen yeah. riding through with his posse was see, on,
1: on his way to Vegas or something. Yeah. I had heard a couple different versions. And he of stopped
2: that. in here at the Palace at first. And was having beer, and then everybody got a wind, of, you know, that was yeah. here, and then the whole town started showing up. Me ends up over at Matt's, and they have that uh, that uh, balcony, Ele-
1: the elevated stage yeah. thing, yeah. yeah.
2: And a band was playing, and uh, I get he went up there and played a whole bunch of songs, nice. and I guess to play, I, Man, What I wouldn't have given to see that, you know what
1: I mean? <laughs> now one of the uh, one of the the big recognitions of this in in modern times of the palace is uh, depicted on that back wall there in that big mural of Junior Bonner. Oh, Now, yeah. again, saw it as a kid, saw it years, over the years several times. It wasn't until I lived in this area that I made the connection, oh, that this is where yeah. it was. Yeah, that's <laughs> and a real... Scenes right. You scenes know, filmed yeah. right in here and across the way and at the fairgrounds. It's not know, a fictional place, you yeah. know, because
2: it kind of seems fictional in the movie, yeah. but, you know, like... Yeah, you know, like, but there really was a, pris- you know, brisket. Yeah.
1: So, what are some of the? What are some of the? Because you hear a lot of different stories and and lore and legends, uh, and like anything else, uh, in all the tall tales, there's a little bit of truth and yeah. a little bit of tall tale. What are some of the the myths about Whiskey Row? That uh, you've heard over the years that have proved to not be yeah. factual. What are I, some of
2: the? It's really interesting. That was uh, that was something I ran into. I, I, to start with, uh, I was hoping everyone would be true. I would nah. just find documentation on it, and I just I tell the story again. But uh, and the problem is that some of these stories are on the historic markers out here,
1: like, I, like I, the in date? It's right out there. Y-
2: yeah, yeah, like,
1: like,
2: <laughs> right there. That, one of the things I ran into was the, the palace's uh, starting date is listed as 1877 on there, and I just took that for granted, yeah, because it says something. I, uh, you know, you, I was I was researching chronologically through the papers, and I came up, I saw the uh, the little blurb there that said the uh, the palace was opening, uh, and it sounded just like this palace it was opened by a, a marshal named uh, Standifer and a guy Gilman Shaw, and. Um, you know, and then I I saw that mention, and I figured it must be this palace. Yeah, but uh, I kept researching, and it never showed up again. Never showed up again, and I go, holy cow! And then a another palace showed up in 1982, 19, uh, 1882. Yeah, <laughs> not that recent, but uh, <laughs> and it didn't last very long. I'm thinking and it was on Montezuma Street as well. It was a palace. So, and then a third palace showed up on Good <laughs> Goodwin Street, and that's the one that actually ended up being associated with this one
1: gotcha
0: but
2: let me get to the the good news the good news is that uh the palace's origins actually trace back to 1874 so earlier yeah three years earlier than the it's by far more yeah. vintage than any other saloon. And the reason for that is because this is actually a merger of two saloons the cabinet saloon was a was i call it the heartbeat of whiskey row and um and then there was where we're sitting Uh, Right now, it it actually wasn't any part of the saloon. There were two saloons to the side of us. There was the palace. I'm pointing. Can everybody
1: see that? Well, here, let me hold the microphone (laughs) up to your (laughs) arm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The
2: cabinet saloon was uh, to the the south, and the palace was to the north, and we're sitting where there was a middle part. Right in the middle. So after the fire of 1900, these guys had the two most popular saloons. And they were friends, so they decided to merge, and they created this magnificent place. Now, so now
1: the, let's let's talk about that fire a little bit, because yeah. there is the the famous story that the uh, that uh, as the row was burning, uh, the folks were 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 so interested in uh, in continuing their liquid refreshments right. that they just picked the bar up, chopped the bar out, picked it up, carried it across the way, and sat and and kept on drinking. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about <laughs> because. Uh, in my book, uh, in well, your book, uh, yeah, let me Prescott's <laughs> original whiskey row available on Amazon at themilehighshow dot com <laughs> yeah. Amazon link. Oh, whiskey
2: row books at Gmail. <laughs> but, uh, and I, who, uh, who gets the plug here? Come on, yeah, 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 in Mile High Show. <laughs> so um, when I first got here, uh, most of the local historians, the serious historians, uh, believe that that was a made up myth. Yeah, and uh, I didn't. It was my favorite. Favorite whiskey roast story, you know, the the bar being pulled out and then they just keep drinking and they both pull out the whiskey and they pulled out the everything else, you know. Yeah. But uh, and sure well, this is kind of complicated to talk about, but um, when the when the palace moved over here from Goodwin Street after it burned down, can you imagine that? Something burning down in Prescott. <laughs> but the 83 Palace burned down on Goodwin Street, and it moved over here to our north. Uh, on uh, 118 Montezuma, we're sitting at 120 yeah. Montezuma. This is where it gets complicated. I need to draw it all out. But uh, and when it moved from there, Goodwin Street to Montezuma Street, guess why it was able to move to Montezuma Street? Why, Because it, it was all burned out.
1: Oh, it m- was big- <laughs> kind of like the old birdcage down the street where now yeah. they got that holiday courtyard. <laughs> there was a, there
2: was a fire in '83 that took out half of Whiskey Row, most of it. And uh, so there's the lots were open. And then the palace, which two weeks before, that fire was built, uh, was opened on uh, Goodwin Street. In, 80, in February of 84, it burned down, too. <laughs> and they decided to move over here. Yeah. You know, so that's how the palace ended up on Montezuma Street because everything kept burning down. <laughs> and then the third time it burnt, you know, burned down again. But uh, so I, oh, what was I talking about? The the, uh,
1: the, the, bar, yeah, the, the bar. story of them Yeah, right, yes, it out.
2: You, you're right. We call this tangent. But um, when it was rebuilt on Montezuma Street, the bar they put into the palace was uh, said to be made of solid walnut. And I saw that because I'd sat at the bar here, which is cherry and mahogany and everything else. And beautiful. And beautiful. And I saw that and I go, oh, crap. That's not the same bar. (laughs) But guess what happened in 1897? What's that? Burned down. It burned Except this time, because the this
1: sounds like an episode of The Sopranos. Uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> it was an accident. It was an uh-huh. accident. Yeah, it Why are you doing that with your fingers, Make Yeah, it, it, was,
2: it wasn't uh, anything to do with uh, uh, Junior and uh, Junior <laughs> Soprano or anything like that, or some kind of hit being. But anyway, it, it uh, in 1897, um, it it the palace. It's only the palace burned because when it was rebuilt um, after it moved. Uh, it was rebuilt here in 1884. It was rebuilt with brick and iron and uh, all kinds of stuff. So the fire was contained. But ah. it, it burned that bar. So they gotcha. they had to get a new bar. So I kind of followed. And I'd already written in my book that it wasn't, probably wasn't true, uh, the, the palace bar being pulled out in the fire. I was in the final editing stages. And uh, it was like 2 o'clock at night, and I'm researching, and I was researching something else. And I came across this fire in 1897, and then... In December, I think it was December 28th, there was a report about a bar being put in. It was beautiful, made of cherry, mahogany. What you're looking at right now? And what we're looking at right now. And, and actually, there's a picture behind us over here that shows the bar before the fire. Oh, it's, nice. It's really rare. And you can tell, that's it. That's the so, same. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Not, not, my wife was asleep. And <laughs> I go, I, just, I, just, I, was, I was almost shouting hallelujah. I was going, <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true. And uh, there's a somebody here, uh, a dear friend named uh, Martha, who's now a co-owner. I guess you would put could put it. And uh, I couldn't wait to tell her because she loves the history. I yeah. couldn't wait to tell Martha that it was true uh, that that's the bar that was here before the fire. So
1: now, recently, you were you were discussing online and through your page uh, a story about uh, the this bar here. And is it down Bisbee or Tombstone? Is You're talking it? about the, the back bar? Yeah. The back bar there, the beautiful back bar. I found out some tell, more sto- tell us, Tell us that history, yeah. the story, the connection between the two cities.
2: Well, I mentioned the picture behind us, and um, you see in that picture pre-fire that it's a different back bar. You know, so the story of it being pulled out is probably not true unless you know they put a new one in after. But I followed it real close. I, I think I would have known if they would have put a new back, back bar in. So what I believe happened with the, this back bar here was that uh, it was installed after the fire, and that it came. My theory is it came from San Francisco down the Pacific Coast around the Baja, up the Sea of California, or Cortez, or whatever they call it, and then up the Colorado, and then across land here. Yeah, that's how I think it got here. But um, yeah, there's one in uh, in the Crystal Palace down in uh, Tombstone. looks exactly like it, and it's a little bit of a mystery. I'm researching it. Because they say that uh, the one at the Crystal Palace is a is a copy, but Scott Stanford here, um, both he and I found a picture of the Crystal Palace and it says eighteen eighties, huh. and that that's there. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, I don't know how that's worked. I found one other one I, I forgot of this back bar. There's only three I know in existence, maybe four, but uh, uh, I think it was called the Empire, made by um, Brunswick.
1: Those guys. Beautiful, you know. beautiful oh, it's, it's craftsmanship. Something else. Just, And it, 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 it when I was setting up here, and, you know, pretty much every time we're sitting here at the Brad table at the palace, <laughs> as we see people walking in the door, you can tell the folks that are uh, visiting or here for the first time, because right. they walk in and their eyes just open. Right. They look around. They see the woodwork. They see the images on the wall, the display cabinets, uh, the walking history of Uncle Bob and his cohorts back there. Right. You should see Tommy. Doug. Tommy yeah. does an imitation of people walking in. Uh, just go, account. good, go, good. Here he's going.
2: Some look in and they, they, he's walking in, he's walking in. Do a play-by-play. Yeah. He looks, some people will just look around and they're gone. It's too much for him to handle.
1: But it is awe-inspiring it to is. walk in and see, and I don't know, what it, are these, is this copper, the, the, the plating on the roof? I don't know. I, it's,
2: it's, I've never, the, the, I haven't gotten that far. I, it looks like... A,
1: it's like these big square yeah. plates. It's like a big grid pattern that a lot of these vintage buildings have. Some. Yeah. Now, you go into some areas, and you can tell it's faux. Right. These are all legit. They're all original, the crown molding and all that. It's just yeah. beautiful. And then, of course, that whole bar and the back bar, it it's just incredible to look at. Mm. And the stairways leading up to the offices, now... We were looking. Did you look at these? Uh, these I sure these did. The, with, the t- ladies? T- tell us about those. Tell t- tell the listeners about. You mean the, the,
2: the soil? Yeah. I, I, they got great names. The Soiled Doves. Let's see. There's this uh, one. Teacup Sally? There, there's one, yeah. Her name is Teacup Sally. But the the, na- the nicknames for these, like uh,
1: so- the Soiled Doves or Rehab Women. Why, why don't you give us a little history of what what some of the entertainment in these saloons was like, and it ties into what we're talking about. Well, one street over.
2: Uh, Granite Street on the uh, east side was the red light
1: district, and
2: in between is Whiskey Row Alley, and so then you got Whiskey Row where all the bars were. So it was a uh, kind of easy way to do business. They would just meet in the alley there and discuss terms, you know. I think and, some uh,
1: of that's still going on. Yeah, I, I, yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> There's some going on in that, those alleys there. That's <laughs> for the Tommy episode. We'll, we'll
1: find out all about that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, yeah, that that whole red light district was interesting because they, it wasn't uh, they they were mentioned in the papers sometimes. You know, they were called uh, habitués of Granite Street, and if you read that, everybody knew they were they were prostitutes here. <laughs> but yeah, Martha brought in some. Uh, you had to have a license apparently to uh, be a prostitute. So it was a legal enterprise. Yeah, and uh, they got S-
1: similar sim- similar. To uh, yeah. some of the Nevada counties and things like that. Yeah,
2: and then they have, and then they have a picture that's kind of like advertising on there. I don't uh. know if that's part of the license or not. <laughs> you think they? Ha- I don't know if they hung on the wall like doctors.
1: You know, <laughs> <with> their credentials. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. One of the adjoining or, or, or uh, adjacent uh, saloons, Jersey Lily. Uh, what do you, what do you get, can you give us a little about that Without yeah. drawing too much away from the beautiful palace Of course a that's bit. a beautiful I, spot as well I actually met the guy who uh, Who uh, opened
2: the Jersey Lily uh, And it was a restaurant at one time But what we're talking about is uh, what was once The palace hotel When it was rebuilt in uh, 1901 uh, Upstairs was a really Grand hotel You know, Probably the second best in Prescott next to Hotel St. Michael's down the, down the street there at the time And um I don't know. It must, at uh, some point, business kind of waned or something. Yeah. You know, it just, uh, just didn't seem to do very well. And it was kind of shut down in the, uh, probably in the 50s and 60s, you know, and then
1: eventually uh, a bar was opened up there i don't think it was called jersey lily at first yeah uh, and, up top where the, yeah. they they touted it as the uh, the only uh, balcony overlooking the, uh, yeah. the the whiskey row it's a it's part of the bar and that's something you should do if you
2: that's and you used to be the balcony of the hotel but yeah it's uh, it's wonderful it's uh, where you can sit there and look at the plaza and yeah. people walking dogs on the on the plaza and all that kind of stuff, and, and, and people the, yelling at each other. And on Tuesdays, the <laughs> the political crowd getting mad at each other. And, and on <laughs>
1: we we'll, we'll plug it here. On Wednesday night, uh, there is a uh, a classic rock jam that happens every every Wednesday night at the at the uh, Jersey Lily Saloon with Sky, right? Sky yeah. Conwell yeah. and Glenn. Yeah. They trade off a little bit. Nick Canuel, former guest of the show, plays up there on a regular basis. I think Sundays are his day. Little Larry in the Drive. There's there they have set musicians up there, but it's live music. Pretty much throughout the week. Beautiful spot to hang out. Uh, again, not drawn away from the Palace, but they're great spots right. to go and check them both out. And here at the Palace, you know, we can't plug them enough. Our friend Danny Romero. Now, now we, he came by my place yesterday, pretty much all day. Him and uh, Georgie Janik and uh, and uh, Jordan uh, Brambia. Oh, good. Uh, the three of them came by. and then I, You know Les Lyman? Lesley-Era I know Lyman? Them. yeah. Yeah. He came by in the morning. We were doing some video shoots of him playing, and then the trio came by. And spent the rest of the day in there. And I figured out, uh, you know, because as a, as a I'll, I'll, I'll do the quotes here as an artist, as a photographer, I'm not, you know, the, the money ain't rolling in. Uh, but I figured out how I'm gonna put my eight year old through college. Is periodically I'm going to invite these guys over, and they're not allowed to take their empty beer cans with them. And I figured uh, just on the recycling alone, yeah. he's already got his uh, freshman sophomore year of college taken care of just from yesterday. Brilliant! My goodness! Brilliant! They've got to own stock in Coors. That's all I got to figure <laughs> out.
2: I did that on river trips. I would, we would, <laughs> we would have. Uh, I would keep the cans afterwards and. I'd have a whole truck loading.
1: But Danny uh, Danny Romero, uh, Arizona Territory Band, Arizona Territory Duo, Trio, and wh- whoever else he can con into playing with him, uh, he plays here every Friday. Friday. 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Yep, and he's the well, real deal. Well, he plays from 5 to 5.05, and then he takes a break, and then he comes <laughs> back about 6. No, I'm just kidding. Because people but come he- <laughs> and talk to me.
2: He's a talker. He likes to talk to people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, four minutes to it. Three minutes to it. Yeah,
2: where's he's Danny? Over,
1: he's over there hanging out. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a, it's a, he he uh, he's the staple here, along with you and Tommy and and Phil here. I want to give Phil Cross on the, the, the Friday night on, crowd on here. Yeah, uh, we got but, sitting next to us a legend. Yeah, but so Maybe Danny we should, plays. We're not gonna talk about it. Right now. Ah, <laughs> Danny plays here every Friday, but then does special event shows. Also, throughout the year here at the Palace, and he plays all over the row and all over Arizona. Right. Uh, but he, uh, the Palace is kind of his anchor yeah. for for the local for his his uh, music uh, talents here. I call him the Palace Troubadour. He's got a yeah. show coming oh, yeah. up on April thirtieth. Uh,
2: he's doing Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr.
1: Yeah, and he does some of the other Waylon and Willie yeah. shows. He does some of the tribute shows, and then they do some specialty shows. Uh, New Year's Eve, I believe they were here yeah. as well with the full band. Um, He writes a lot of original music that's very, very good. And he's he's been on the podcast, I don't know, half a dozen at least times. Um, And we're going to have him on again. He's got a new EP coming out soon, so uh, we're going to talk to him about that. But uh, he's getting ready to take the stage before he does, and then we'll wrap up. Again, we're here with Brad Courtney. Uh, Prescott's original Whiskey Row is a book uh, detailing the history of of Prescott's whiskey row, including the beautiful palace restaurant saloon where we're sitting in right now. Give us a couple of your, we talked about one of your favorite stories of taking the bar. Just give us a couple of the, of, of the real gems that you, uh, uh, that you became aware of in, in researching the history of whiskey row. And I hope I could tell them some, right, but there's a story.
2: Uh, I call it the dynamite demon of whiskey row. And, uh, Why it is not one of those famous Western legendary stories, I don't know. Because every time I tell it, people just go, wow, that really (laughs) happened. But uh, there was a guy named Bill Binkley. He married a a lady named Bertha Hovey. Uh, Bertha was one of those uh, Granite Street (laughs) habitués. And he knew that. The back alley girl. Yeah, he knew that. But what happened was when... um, when he married right right after shortly after they got married uh, she tells him hey guess what I'm already married (laughs) almost like it was a joke and and furthermore we won't be living together and uh, this guy for some
1: that would be a perfect marriage and this is what
2: (laughs) this is what made him upset not that she was a prostitute that she had another husband you know but uh he would try, he would go over, the <laughs> report called it, he'd go over to her Adobe and try to get her attention and she would uh, tease him and he'd feel emasculated and he got uh, really angry and eventually um, he decides that he was going to take care of it by, um, by uh, like kind of a murder-suicide thing. And um, so what he did was he worked out at the Last Chance Mine, which is out in the Walker area, and he stole six sticks of dynamite and he just kind of kept his eye on her. And uh, in back of the cabinet saloon, which became the palace, by the way, that's why you can go back to 1874, there was a dining room in the back near Whiskey Row Alley. And she worked at this place called the Double Decker, which was a, a house of prostitution that, uh, where the uh, parking garage is now. And so, again, he, I still think some of that business is going on in yeah, the garage. I don't, there's something, yeah. <laughs> there's all kinds of little I, <laughs> I see the police monitoring it just, just the other day. But uh, he hides uh, he the sticks of dynamite under the double decker and he keeps her eye on her. And then uh, one night in January, I think it was 1898, uh, he notices her having uh, dinner in the back of the cabinet saloon in the dining room at a table. A Chinese guy was waiting on him. And uh, he crawled, uh, he was, uh, she was with uh, another a colleague, her name was Cora, that's all, that's all she yeah. was known by, but um, he crawled underneath the cabinet saloon, put the sticks of dynamite right underneath their feet, uh, and his initial plan was to stay there and die with her, but he lit the fuse and he took off down the road there to a, <laughs> to a place called the Royal Saloon, he was in there about 30 seconds, and kaboom! Everybody runs toward the cabinet to see what was going on, including him. He gets here, and he looks, and everything's demolished, but standing there unhurt <laughs> is Bertha. And he saw her, and he goes... His, his other plan was, once he saw her dead, he was he had some laudanum around his neck. He was going to take it and, yeah. you know, go with her into wherever they were going. <laughs> but um, the she, was, after. Yeah, she, was, she was alive, and... Uh, uh, so people started thinking later that maybe she was the target, so they found Bill, and, he, of course, he denied it, and she denied it because she was a bigamist. You know? so, <laughs> so she she said everything was fine, no problems between us, but he finally he gave in, and uh, he was sent to Yuma after a while there. I, I actually uh, met his granddaughter, who told me more of the story, and uh, yeah, actually I have a picture of it and everything, but that that's the story of the dynamite demon at Whiskey that Row. That is and great. Just... just uh, why that's not more famous, because it just blew up everything, but anyway, here's how she lived. Um, There was a thick layer of linoleum in the dining room, so when the dynamite uh, was lit and ignited, she was like in the eye of the hurricane, so everything went out away from her. Gotcha. And uh, It knocked over a 1,000-pound oven. That's how powerful the blast was, (laughs) but she was okay. I think Corey had a little scratch, and the Chinese guy, I guess, had a little injury, too, but Considering, you know, took out almost the whole saloon, that's pretty good.
1: (laughs) Now, recently, uh, we have uh, changed hands here. Uh, Dave, who was the previous owner, they, have they just had the, the retirement party for no, him, or this, is it coming up? this Sunday, at, uh, so, I think it starts at 4. So the day this airs, actually, it'll be. Yeah. Is, so is there, we've got some new owners. We won't get too much into that because I, I want to sit down with them at some point. Danny and I were talking about that. Maybe you could join us. That'd be a good, good conversation. No, that'd
2: be great. That'd be, I'd, um, I'd love to.
1: But uh, some of the ownership of the palace again has been the the rumors the myths the legends doc holiday and the erp boys were they did they have a hand in ownership at this point at this place at no, any point
2: you know and that's one of those you asked earlier like some of the legends yeah. and everything now let me start off right because i've been misunderstood uh the virgil is here virgil's virgil erps his law career actually that's a whole other story This
1: ah. is a great story it's um it's that, in the book. It's in the book. It's, it's in the Prescott's book. original Prescott's whiskey row. Prescott's <laughs> original whiskey row. Available at milehighshow.com <laughs> using that Amazon link. And where else? <laughs> oh, Whiskeyrowbooks at <laughs> gmail.com. $20 okay. for so, a signed copy. So, Virgil.
2: Uh, so, Virgil's his law career actually started here. It was a shootout that happened, uh, you know, about, maybe about a half mile from here. And uh, he was really uh, lauded for his part in that, you know, and then it probably played a part why he became. Uh, uh, what he was in Tombstone, but yeah. Wyatt came here uh, in 1979. There actually wasn't a Palace Saloon at the time, but there was the Cabinet Saloon, which became the Palace. Yeah. That's so, that's so important. <laughs> that's a,
1: a running a yeah. running
2: theme of this show, which which the Cabinet became, Saloon. Yeah, and it was it was the place to go. It was the gambling. Yeah. That was where. So that's where Doc. Would have come and made his they yeah. say he made like a ten thousand dollar win in the poker game it would have been at the cabinet. So yes, it can be said that the uh the herbs were here. It was just in a different form.
1: So they've got thing. roots right here in yeah. Prescott, right yeah. up and down the row. And the the stories I have heard is that Doc Holiday and White are owned the palace together for some time and other yeah. stories. And so there's, again, a, there's a lot that's been said, but again, there's a lot of lore, there's yeah. a lot of uh, of myth and there's a lot of legend. The herbs weren't really that known yeah. at the time. Yeah. You know, um, he, he became famous much later, so. But I think Kevin Costner and Kurt Russell made him famous. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Especially Kurt, yeah. And, and then, you
1: a, know, a Val with uh, Doc, you know. Yeah. You can't beat that portrayal at all. So, you know? what we encourage folks to get, if you are interested at all in history in general, uh, specifically Western history, and of course, the history of. Prescott and Prescott's Whiskey Row, including the beautiful Palace Restaurant Saloon where we're sitting. Pick up Brad Courtney's book, Prescott's Original Whiskey Row, available at through the email.
2: whiskeyrowbooks at gmail.com.
1: To get your signed copy, or if you'd like to, you can go to MileHighShow.com and use that Amazon link and pick up your own copy and when you are in the Prescott area or even if you're not in the Prescott area, if you are in Arizona, Nevada, Las Vegas, Take a few hours trip. We're about four hours away from Vegas. Yeah. And check out Prescott's Whiskey Row. And you can visit the palace and check out their website, historicpalace.com. Again, that's historicpalace.com. And they also have a pretty active Facebook page where shows like Danny's shows and, and the... Uh, storytelling shows and things like that are also advertised. And Isaac, the history here is greater than that of
2: Tombstone anywhere in the West. It really is.
1: Well, Brad, thanks for sitting down. We appreciate taking time to sit and talk with us. I hope this will not be the only time we sit down and talk. You've got great stories. You've got a new book that you're working on, so we'd like to talk to you as that uh, comes closer to being published. And, of course, when we sit down with anybody here, including maybe the new owners, uh, at the Palace uh, Saloon, maybe you can join us, and uh, that'd be look, a great that'd time. Be awesome. I'd like to once you uh, once you uh, get those touring muscles uh, going again. Uh, like we said, you're taking a little break. I'd kind of like to do a little walking podcast with that. you with yeah. some of your some of the tourists too, as you as you're yeah. taking them around. We can hear some of their questions, talk to some folks. Find out where they're from because, as we said, as Tommy did the act out here, when people walk in this place, they're blown away not just because of the architecture and the decorations, but we have, and I jokingly said Uncle Bob, but there is a crew of guys and gals that hang out here in full period costume, or not even costume, it's authentic period dress. They hang out, they tell stories, they pose for pictures, they'll give you their own history, how they got here. We got a Union soldier walking through right now. And not even just the folks that dress up. You sit down here and there's legit guys, tail punchers like Sean Collins sitting here, like Danny Romero, who are just hanging out because... This is where they hang. This is a uh, so very interesting people. I, I want to <laughs> s- I'm not even going to say who it is. I want to sit down with this gentleman sitting across from me, but he already told me, he goes, we're going to sit down and talk first before <laughs> you plug in the microphone because he's got a, he's got an interesting story. Yeah. I did talk about his book, the podcast. I rec- I picked up his book a couple weeks ago here and talked about it in the intro to the episode I recorded that night over at the event center. But we got some interesting yep. folks that just yeah. hanging out here. And uh, again, check out Prescott's Original Whiskey Row by Brad Courtney and visit, it's upside down. It's a professional broadcaster here, historicpalace.com because that's where we're sitting in the beautiful historic palace, restaurant, and saloon. Take a step and, back oh, in time. And this is, All right, this reminds me of that old. Uh, WKRP when he looks at the wall and he goes it's now 5.20 and time for the 5 o'clock news. It is now 5.08 and time for the 5 o'clock show to start. Danny Romero, I'm going to, hey Danny I'm going to plug in your your music intro and outro so we'll have a couple of Danny Romero uh, originals for the intro and outro here. Danny Romero music is where you can find clips to his videos and find out how you can pick up his brand new EP that was recorded right down the road at Raven Studios. Brad, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. It was my pleasure. It really was. And Tommy, thanks for your pantomime. That was great. That's some great radio. When you get a pantomime. And though they were after
0: him With those hands he'd save many more But yeah, yeah. he'll steel, cussing Raise hell all night and With a pistol in his hand and Spreading fear all across in the land and His heart belonged, Dixie Shit always got Life is an outlaw he knows And nothing else that he can With a pistol in his hand, spreading fear all through the land. His heart blown, Dixon. She had always got. An outlaw, he knows and nothing else that he can do.